Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Eighth Commandment makes us think about our relationship to material possessions. And in this commandment, the Lord teaches us that it is wrong to love money so much that you are willing to harm others in order to get more. I think we all get that. We wouldn't want others to take our stuff, so we shouldn't take the things that belong to others. The Holy Spirit in our hearts makes us want to deal with others as we would have them, like them to deal with us. Rather than steal from others, we want to be generous. And so many generous donations from many giving hands have allowed this Christian community to build some beautiful church buildings and to have their own school and have beautiful school buildings. And these buildings, along with all the different ministries, both locally and abroad, are a testament to Christian generosity. We have chosen to live in all modesty, as we promise also in the marriage form, if we get married. We have promised to reject uh, extravagance. We even had that this morning as we read through the Lord's Supper form. And we are ensuring that we're constantly trying to give to those in need. But then we get to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. So theme of the sermon this morning, and that passage, that verse, it takes us to another level in the Eighth Commandment, because it says that just giving is not enough. And perhaps that's a little unsettling. Here you are, giving your donations from your hard-earned income to God's kingdom work, and the Holy Spirit says that it could all be for nothing, you can give away all that you have and still end up as nothing. Giving in itself doesn't earn anything for you. Generosity doesn't bring anything to you. Why, why is it not enough? Because it is possible to give without love, to give without the Holy Spirit. And this thought is important in our day and age when even the poorest in our midst are in a similar situation to the rich people that Jesus was looking at in the temple. And the text, it, the text is important to consider also as we, we consider that in our own lives we, we are so focused on results and we so often have barely enough time to spend with our friends that we know how much less to spend time with the needy that we don't really know. By God's grace in Christ Jesus and through his command, we are, we are lifted to a higher level. We are more than just a beautiful brick and mortar church building. We are temples of the Holy Spirit and he brings us, he leads us by his word into a sincere love. And I preach you the gospel of Jesus Christ under that theme. If I give away all I have, but have not love, I am nothing, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. We'll see that the Holy Spirit teaches us to beware of pride, to be aware of the poor, and to be careful to love. On Mark 12, verses 38 to chapter 13, verse 2, 
We see in this passage that we read that the Lord Jesus was watching people as they gave their gifts. And he sees both rich and the poor. And if you read through the verses we read together again very carefully, you will see that our Lord Jesus does not condemn people for being wealthy nor for being poor. Both things can happen to us in our lives. Even without knowing about the providence of God, most people in the world recognize that there are many factors that are related to our financial situation. And although it may seem true that a worker receives a wage, a hard worker and a wise businessman will gain more, and that when you are willing to brave the temperatures of the north, you can gain even more, the rule doesn't hold true when the government is corrupt or when the economy crumbles or when enemies invade or when illness strikes or when the main source of your income dies and leaves no inheritance. We see the homeless are not necessarily lazy nor the wealthy necessarily hardworking. The Lord reveals that riches and poverty come not by chance but by God's fatherly hand. Our care and our labor, we confess, and also God's gifts cannot do us any good without his blessing. It is not to the credit of any person when he becomes rich, nor to the shame of others when they find that they do not have enough to make ends meet. God is in control. We confess this many times and in many ways in our confession. Jesus sees both the rich and the poor. And his teaching is not to be rich, nor is his teaching to be poor, but rather it has to do with how we react to our particular situation. Jesus teaches us in this passage to beware of the scribes. And the following verses of, after he says that teach us that we have to beware of them, not only because they might hurt us, but because we might be tempted to do what they are doing. Reading Mark 12, verses 38 to 40, and James 2, verses 1 to 13, it reminds me of when I was a kid, and I was always very impressed with people who drove the fanciest cars and who lived in those big mansions. And I wasn't alone in being impressed. There was even a TV show at that time called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And I imagine that the wealthy had no cares, just like Psalm 73 says. And Jesus tells us that when I was a child and I responded to wealthy people in that, in that way, I was responding in the exact way that they wanted me to respond to them. Many wealthy people probably liked it, that I was impressed with their cars and their homes and, and their vacations. And Jesus teaches us, Jesus' teaching shows us that many adults never manage to outgrow this childhood fascination with riches. In Mark 12 and James 2, the Holy Spirit teaches us that this same worldly attitude toward wealth is a sin that has been around for a long time even among those who call themselves followers of God or Christians. Jesus taught us to beware of the scribes because if you will 
if you follow their bad example, you will receive the greater condemnation. That's how he words it in verse 40 of Mark 12. This condemnation is not because of their riches, but because of their pride and their desire to impress other people with their riches. They liked the attention that their long robes drew to themselves. They liked having people seek their approval, to greet them in the marketplace with some deference. They liked to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at the feasts. Wealth was important to them because it helped them to impress other people. Does that remind you of anyone you know? Could it be that perhaps we also fall into that trap, that we buy things to impress? Yet in his commentary, Jesus also shows us that there is often an even darker side of this pride and this confidence in money. He reveals that their desperation for respect through wealth was so great that they were even willing to devour widows' houses to get it. Jesus doesn't condemn wealth, but he condemns the wrong ways of attaining wealth. And that was also listed for us in our catechism. He condemns the practice of devouring widows' houses. This is one example that he uses that then represents all kinds of oppression. It's really a reference to the eighth commandment in all its fullness. The sins of pride and the desire to impress others, it pulls us into a vicious cycle because the wealth that can be gained from theft and dishonesty and hypocrisy and fraud and oppression can easily be used to distract people's attention away from the real situation of our hearts and even allow us to justify and to cover up wickedness. The vicious cycle is propelled along as much by pride as it is by envy, as much by the rich who buy fancy things to be seen by others as well as by those who are jealous or who are willing to show the rich this partiality. James talks about pride and partiality, pride and prejudice. Showing partiality or prejudice encourages the wealthy in their pride. Partiality is a sin because it fails to see that wealth doesn't actually make one person greater in God's sight than another. Wealth is just a situation we find ourselves in as a result of God's providential oversight and care. The parable of the talents in Matthew 25 makes this very clear. We are all servants. Wealth is just to be used to serve in God's kingdom. And for this, everyone must always be aware of the needy. Mark carries us into a consideration of what giving to the kingdom looks like in a practical way. Now Jesus is watching 
as people were putting their money into the offering box, one of 13 big trumpet-like fixtures in the temple for receiving their offerings. Financial giving is as much an act of public devotion as praising God in song is. For when we give our gifts, we show that we trust God. We show that we want to be devoted to his kingdom. God doesn't give wealth to individuals strictly for their own use, but he gives it to the community as a whole so that in cooperation with the deacons, the church may distribute it according to need. Ephesians 4 verse 28 makes that very clear. The principles of the Old Testament would require people to give according to their wealth, and so the sincerity of one's heart is known to God by the percentage of wealth that goes to him. This is what Jesus talks to his disciples about as he is watching the amounts that people are putting in. He calls in his disciples to highlight the widow's complete trust in the Lord. Some people gave out of their wealth, but the widow gave out of her poverty. You can imagine it. You can imagine her coming up with two coins in her hand. And it would have been easy to hold one coin back, but she gave them both. It's a powerful picture. Her faith, her trust in the Lord were, were exceptional. It's noteworthy. It's humbling. Now, some people use this text to tell people, yes, even poor people, to give everything they have to the church. You can hear it preached in many false churches. They, they tell the poor, be like that widow. And often this message is coming out while they themselves are living off the spoils of their spiritual abuse and driving fancy cars that they bought from the offerings that they received from the poor who were giving their last pennies. False preachers urging confused members of their church to have complete faith and to give more. I've heard it even said, it was said to me, don't, don't just give your second last copper coin, but give your last coin too. Give away all you have, they say. Trust in God and you will see that he keeps his promise in Malachi to fill your vats to overflowing. But that's not what Jesus is teaching in Mark 12. That's not the message that the Lord is giving to us today. That's not the message he's sending to his church. The Holy Spirit does not encourage churches to devour widows' incomes. Our Lord Jesus sees the whole scene. He notes that there are rich people beside the poor widow, and yet she is still so poor that she has to put in everything she had, all she had to live on. How is it possible to have such a poor widow in the midst of a congregation that said that they believe that if they are not generous to the needy, they are insulting God their maker. Proverbs 14, verse 31. Were they not aware of this widow's needs? Now, if everyone was living in abject poverty, the poor widow among them would not be such a wicked thing for Jesus to have to see. 
But the disciples point out that the church was far from being poor. And in fact, it was blessed in chapter 13, verse 1 tells us, it was blessed with wonderful stones, wonderful buildings. There was no need for this widow to be so poor. The problem was not a lack of money, but the problem was that people were not aware that the widow was there because they were so focused on themselves, on their great projects, the wonderful stones of their buildings. Widows were being robbed right in the middle of the temple because everyone was looking, was so busy looking at their temporary buildings and their own needs that they did not see that poor woman standing in front of them. Although people were generous in their giving, they did not show love in their priorities. They ended up dishonoring the poor. Like James 2 verse 6 speaks of, wishing them well, but then sending them home empty-handed. Brothers and sisters, be, be, beware of pride, but also be aware of the needy. Be wary of great building projects that, that can distract us for the more pressing needs of neighbors right beside us. Well, a few decades after Jesus spoke these words, the temple was destroyed. It had become obsolete when Jesus offered his own life on the cross as a sacrifice. Jesus Christ gave away all he had, and he had love, so he became everything for us. He ushered in a kingdom where he is reigning as king. And Jesus' teaching shows us that he fulfills the promise of Psalm 146, verses 8 and 9, that we also sang parts of that song together, where the Lord announces that he upholds the widow. In Jesus' kingdom, the Holy Spirit reigns in the hearts of believers to lead us in true obedience to the Eighth Commandment. The love that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts compels us to eagerly desire to ensure that the needy are always cared for. So we pray often that the deacons may have sufficient resources for this ministry of mercy. And with that, we pray that we all may have open eyes to see who is needy. We pray that we may joyfully assist the deacons, one another, by displaying the love of Christ to the world. So we're called to be careful to love people. I think that you've probably drawn the lines already, but it's good to be clear. The Holy Spirit didn't give us this teaching of Jesus so that we could point our fingers at the scribes and shake our heads and go tisk tisk. The living preaching of the word brings it all right into your lives, into our lives, into our situation. The Holy Spirit is teaching us a proper understanding of the eighth commandment. And we see it's not just a commandment about contentment, don't steal, or generosity, but it is a commandment that calls us to truly love God and love our neighbor. The key thing to understand from Jesus' teaching 
is that we cannot separate the two and that anyone who truly loves God will also necessarily love their neighbor. Well, how do we show love for our neighbor? Well, it means putting their needs first on our list of priorities. If their needs are primarily financial, we follow the Spirit's instruction in James and pray that we will never consider it acceptable to have a brother or sister who is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food in our midst, in our neighborhoods, while we are living comfortably, building fancy buildings. Such a commitment requires a real investment of money and time. And I don't just mean the pocket change you throw in the collection bag on Sunday and the time that it takes you to find a toonie. Love that imitates Jesus' love is self-sacrificial. Showing love to others means less time and less money for ourselves. And we also show love to our neighbor by caring for their spiritual needs. And once again, love demands that we invest time and money to the preaching of the gospel and the pastoral and spiritual care of God's church mission among those who are converted. And so we come with deed and word, or word and deed. The ministries we support, the buildings we keep up, the projects we are involved in are all very, very impressive, even on a global scale. We could talk to people in other places about the commitment of Canadian Christians to the kingdom with their, their gifts, and it's impressive. And now the Holy Spirit within us wants to make, makes us want to ensure that all this giving is in accordance with 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. So we ask ourselves, does it ever happen that I give without loving? Could it be that a, a poor widow or anyone in need is standing right beside me watching us divert our money right past them into our big projects? Are we getting into the habit of paying others to do the mercy or ordaining deacons to love our neighbor for us? We can get some examples just to get us thinking, maybe talking about it over dinner this evening as well, you give to Mission Brazil. You give to Word and Deed. You write out a check and you send it. But do you care enough about the people that you're sending the money to, to, to read about what their lives are like, to understand the projects you're supporting, to grow to, to love the people, to think about outreach in this city as well. People speak a lot about attracting people to church services and talk about maybe different music or having teams. But at the same time, the little projects that do exist, some of them even had to shut down because of a lack of volunteers. And we realize how often we, we want to leave it for others. We're unwilling to commit just a few hours to help in programs that are already available. 
Or perhaps in the church, you give money, but you're too busy to show actual love, to show interest in the lives of the Christians that you worship with on Sundays. It's true, sometimes there's scheduling difficulties, but wouldn't you agree that more often than not, the problem is not with the time, but with our priorities? And then 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, encourages us to focus on loving one another. May God's Spirit help us so that we don't just love the idea of loving others. We actually begin to care about them, to learn about them, to love them for who they are. You can use an illustration. The church should not be compared to a big, sealed, holding tank of water, but it should be compared to a shallow tray with tube pipes extending out from it in, in all directions, just at the full mark on the tray. God pours his blessings into the tray, and after filling the church with what it needs so that it can supply others, the water starts to flow through the pipes and outward. And each one of us is like one of those pipes or those conduits. The wealth we receive is like water that runs through us. It's a responsibility we have for a while, but it never really belongs to us. And we show what we believe about God by where we direct that pipe to go. Do we turn it back on ourselves or do we direct it to others in God's kingdom, to those around? Now, some pipes are smaller, some are bigger, because God gives different levels of wealth to different people. We can think of that parable of the talents in Matthew 25 again. But when we are completely otherly directed in our love, it's like being a clean pipe. We are efficient, and the maximum amount of God's blessing goes through us and out to others. But when our lives are filled with greed and with selfish desires. We can be compared to a, a dirty or a half-clogged pipe. And I remember a while back seeing one of the city pipes, a cross-section, and how it was just clogged all around the outside with fat. And although there may be a, a trickle of wealth that still runs through it to others, most of it gets stuck to the, the selfish walls of the pipe as we use the gifts that God has given to us to give to others to try impress others. And we keep it to ourselves and we impress them with our cars and with our phones and our clothes and our homes and our, and our property. But when we see every purchase we make as a gift from God that we rammed into that useless that buildup on the inside of the pipe, perhaps we're less tempted to try and show the world how rich we are. It's not as impressive and as beautiful as you might think. It's certainly not what God has called us to. God has given us what we need. He's given us plenty. He's also given us new hearts in Jesus Christ given us a desire, a love for our neighbor and the means to give assistance. 
And brothers and sisters, however you may decide to react to the wealth or the poverty that God assigns to you in this life, remember that without love, you are nothing. The command to not steal is very closely related to the command to love God and your neighbor with all the tools that he supplies you with in this life. Even generosity, though lauded by society, is not complete if it's not accompanied by love. And so may we see the church as more than just a building that we go to or a project that we are all administering together. May we always see it and as assembly of real people who are loved by one another and who invest their time and their money loving everyone around them as well. Amen.